Hi, I'm Lisa Morton, founder of Roland Ransville PR, and this is our We Built This City podcast. This podcast is made of the conversations of the Mancunians born, bred and adopted that put the heart into modern Manchester. We're a city that rebuilt itself literally after the IRA bomb exploded in Manchester city centre in 1996. Right now, we find ourselves in the middle of a different crisis with the spread of coronavirus. But as you'll hear in every single episode of this podcast, there are the people who built the city once and we will build it again. People like my guest, Chris Brindley, MBE. Mancunians help each other out, whether that was the 96 bomb, whether that was a bombing at the arena. We sit there and we come together and we look after each other. We talk about purposeful relationships at Roland Ransfield, and with me on this We Built the City podcast is somebody who embodies that, Chris Brindley, MBE. Chris's professional and personal achievements are too long to list, but I'll give it a try. Born in a council flat in Chilton, he started his career printing checkbooks at NatWest in Stretford in 1982 and went on to be MD of Metrobank UK. He's since had an incredibly successful second career as a non-exec director, international speaker, executive coach and consultant in business and sports. Chris is extremely passionate about sports, which you'll hear about in this podcast, and he's current chair of Rugby League World Cup 2021. He's also a massive Manchester United fan, and I met him a couple of years ago at a Legends dinner and knew immediately he'd found a friend for life. Hi, Chris. Thanks for joining me on We Built This City. Hi, Lisa. It's, uh, it's an absolute privilege and pleasure. Thanks very much for inviting me. Thank you. So from council flat to chair of a global tournament, um, what is it that gets a guy from Chilton hosting the Rugby League World Cup launch and introducing Prince Harry, who's making the draw at Buckingham Palace? I think, Lisa, if I can uh, sort of, when I write my book, uh, I think there'll be three things that I'll attribute that to. Uh, the first is my mum. My mum was a uh, worked on the till at the Hardy Lane Co-op in Cholton um, and she instilled some amazing values in me uh, about hard work. Uh, she also reminded me that no one was better than me but I was never better than anybody uh, and thirdly she said my job was to go out and help people so if I was ever going to the shops for my mum she'd always tell me to knock on the elderly neighbours houses and do their shopping for them because I was a pretty fast runner I could probably be uh, back from the shops before some of the old ladies like Mrs Fanning and Mrs Law in the Avenue uh, could probably get the coat on and get to the shops in time. So um, mum passed away 10 years ago and I miss her dearly, but I owe her a huge amount um, in terms of uh, the values and ethics. Uh, secondly, uh, growing up uh, in the 70s, um, Paul Weller, when he fronted the jam, some of the lyrics Weller had gave me real belief that Although I'd come from a pretty tough upbringing without a lot of money, uh, he gave me the real belief that actually I could go out and be anything I wanted to be. Uh, and then thirdly, I think the answer is sport. Sport is uh, a real a wonderful thing in terms of giving life lessons, whether that's teamwork, communication, practicing, learning how to win properly, learning how to lose properly, uh, problem solving. So if I look at those three things, uh, they, were, they were hugely, hugely influential. Uh, in my life, along with some great teachers and mentors, which I'm sure we'll get the chance to talk about later. And tell us a bit more about the Rugby League World Cup, because it must have been a really proud moment. It was proud for me. I felt proud of you when I saw you um, at the Lowry Centre. So uh, tell me a little more about that. Yeah, uh, you know, r- Rugby League is a northern sport and, you know, embodies all of the values that uh, the cool north and the northern powerhouse, of which Manchester obviously is the epicentre. 
and it's a northern sport with northern values and I was hugely privileged when I was asked to become the chair of the Rugby League World Cup for, for many reasons and it's it's three tournaments in one it's the men's rugby league world cup it's the women's rugby league world cup it's the wheelchair uh, rugby league world cup and we're the first ever global tournament to do all three at the same time uh, over a, a course of a five-week period and what's really proud for me is, is as a sport we always innovate and we always do the right thing which again embodies the northern values so, for example, with the first ever global tournament to have equal prize money for men, women and wheelchair. We're also the first sport ever to pay women and wheelchair participation fees. And they're uh, going to be on the same level as the men. And for me, equality and diversity uh, is something that Manchester embodies uh, and something that I'm really proud to, to lead uh, in terms of the Rugby League World Cup. And I'll just give you one example of rugby league wheelchair, whilst it is so different from any other sport. It's not a disability sport. If you've got, you're fully able and you can move a wheelchair, you can play for England or Scotland or Wales in the Rugby League World Cup. And in the England team, we've got two brothers. One lost his leg, sadly, through meningitis at an early age. But his brother wanted to be so close and play a sport with his brother um, because he's, got, uh, he's fully able. The only sport he could find was rugby league wheelchair. And as well as having uh, an able-bodied brother and a disabled brother, there's also a, a, a lady in that team. So I'm, I'm really passionate about equality and diversity and inclusivity because I was brought up on that um, because Manchester has always been an inclusive city, welcoming um, people from different uh, nations and welcoming them with open arms and embracing their culture, their food, um, and all the things that they bring to Manchester, which makes Manchester such a special place. Yeah, and it's fantastic. That's really the first tournament is going to be held with those values from Manchester. I think it's it's brilliant. Um, you awarded your MBE in 2018 for your services to sports and um, were former chair of Greater Sports Manchester. What do you think you've enjoyed more being involved in the professional side of sports or grassroots or have you, have you kind of learned different things from both of those? I think I've learned different things from both, Lisa, but if, if I can just go into grassroots sport, because ultimately I was uh, never good enough to be a professional, desperately wanted to play for United, um, and, I, and I got really close. I was sort of picked up by a, a Sunday league team run by Jimmy Curran, who was the United youth team coach at the time, and you sort of think, well, you, you, your dream's ready to come true. Now, sadly, I just wasn't good enough. Um, but being part of grassroots uh, sport, as I said earlier, just you're able to make such a difference to people's lives. So I'm the senior non-exec director of the Manchester County Football Association because I played for them and I want to make sure that I put something back. I took on the role of chair of Greater Sport because I wanted to put something back into Greater Manchester. A lot of people talk about Manchester as a city. Uh, Manchester as a city is great, but it's part of Greater Manchester. And what, what Greater Sport was at the time was the only organisation that covered all 10 local authorities in Greater Manchester. And we were hugely proud when Andy Burnham, when putting his manifesto together, uh, said that should he be successful, and I'm glad he was, then he was going to ask Greater Sport to write the sport and physical activity strategy. And as a result of that, we've got agreements with Sport England and the local delivery pilot that now uh, enable millions of pounds of investment to be brought into the hard to reach areas in Greater Manchester 
helping people uh, grow up better, people be more able, uh, people to live longer. Uh, and that's something that I'm really passionate about, which is giving back to others. And again, you know, that's just part of my DNA that my mum gave me uh, all those years ago. So um, to be rewarded um, by the Queen is, is wonderful, but that's not why I did it. I did it to make people in Greater Manchester have better lives. And I think that's really, really important. And that's a cause that uh, is really, really close to my heart. In addition to your MBA, you've also brought some trophies back to Manchester, haven't you? Can you tell us a bit more about those? Yeah, yeah it's uh, nice, <laughs> nice of you to remind me. Um, well, I, I'm a proud man. Uh, I, I really am. Um, I've never left this city. I never will leave this city. Uh, yeah, I've worked in different uh, places uh, around the United Kingdom, but my home has always been in Manchester. And I've lived in hotels and various other places, but my home is Manchester. And being a proud man, I, I want to bring trophies to Manchester. Whilst I was never good enough to be an elite sports person, I did decide that whatever I chose to do, um, whether that was my time at NatWest, my time at British Gas, or my time at Metro Bank, it was about being the best I can be and bringing these trophies back to Manchester. So yeah, I, I, you know, I was voted Britain's best boss in 2004, which was a huge honour, but it wasn't about me. It was about the, the, the unbelievable team I had around me that turned out day in, day out, doing an outstanding job for customers. And I was just privileged to lead it. And, you know, as a leader, you get to, to lift the trophy occasionally. Um, you know, I've also won Sales and Marketing Director of the Year for three three years running. I uh, and my team were recognised as the most outstanding employer for the National Business Awards. And then a couple of years ago, I was uh, recognised by the Institute of Directors as the, the United Kingdom's Non-Executive Director of the Year, which, again, just reflects all those great organisations, both in sport and out of sport, like Equilibrium, who I'm privileged to work with, uh, and Sport In-House, which is Steve Parry, Beth Sweddle, Becky Adlington. All of their great organisations that ultimately um, do everything they can to put the customers at the heart of their business. So um, it's wonderful winning the awards and bringing them back to Manchester, but I have to recognise there's a, an amazing set of people uh, in those organisations that enable me to go up on stage and pick the trophy up. And you've obviously got an incredibly successful second career. So you've brought sports into business and you use a lot of the lessons that you've learned in sport in your um, non-exec roles and your inspirational speaking career. Can you just tell us a bit more about that new career that you found for yourself? Yeah, um, you, know, you know, just put a little bit of context in it. Uh, it was great listening to... Um, Sasha Lord's uh, podcast um, and Sa Sasha was talking about his time at Manchester Grammar School uh, and I think he got a couple of U's. Uh, I, I was bad, not that bad by the way, but I was bad. I got uh, two D's and an E, uh, but one of those was for general studies and my daughter tells me that wouldn't qualify for any UCAS points. Uh, I, I wasn't good enough to go to university, it just wasn't. Right? Academia was not my bag, uh, it was about sport. And, and people then ask the question, well, if I was pretty crap at school, and my, my report said ABS, ABS, that stood for absence, because I couldn't be asked to turn up for the exams. Um, but if you got me uh, to turn up for a school match uh, in a sporting event, I'd be there like a shot. But what, what really transformed uh, my approach was uh, I took my football coaching badges at an early age, um, broke my leg really badly, never been able to play contact sports since. But what I was able to do was take the principles of coaching from football into business. And spookily enough, you look after your people and show them to be 
better at who they are and what they do and set some big goals and big achievements and you start getting success then fully enough your teams win and when teams win people notice you and give you different teams to lead so as a result of that you know the one thing i would always say uh, as a secret about sport into business is about coaching and I, I don't think you can do enough coaching you can't you're just being around people giving them feedback giving them encouragement that's really important and, and then the other way um sport perhaps sometimes um was so obsessed with the sport side it forgot the the element of the business side uh, and ultimately all sports need to have a good set of finances they need to understand operations and risk um, making sure that the people who play are safe and you know we've seen that recently with some of the horrible stories on safeguarding uh, and i know the manchester county football association were obsessed with safeguarding everybody that plays the game whether they're young in age or the vulnerable so you know what business is able to do is bring some structure into the world of sport um, to complement uh, the great things that sports people do and create a framework on which that business can grow can earn more money to reinvest in the game create you know new people of the future whether that's referees coaches volunteers uh, leaders so, so i think sport and business are inextricably linked which is why you know i am living the dream by working in both absolutely and i think the work obviously we'll come on to it a bit later but the work that you've done with us um we've done a lot of work around learnings from sport haven't we so a lot of our values actually are around things like sweep the sheds the um the all blacks yeah. um you know don't leave anything out on the pitch and i think it's really resonated with our team in terms of making us we feel like we're a team we feel like we're a squad now uh, and we all back each other. And that analogy with sport has been really, really important for us. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, and, and I'll shout out to a guy called uh, Humphrey Walters, um, who I had the privilege of working with uh, about nine or 10 years ago now. And, and I like to keep things simple, right? I, I, I'm not academic, so it's got to be simple to understand and simple to implement and execute for me. Humphrey Walters sort of put a slide up um, and it, it's never left me. Uh, and the first part of the slide was great teams have a cause. Being from Manchester, that really resonated with me because he said people fight for the right but die for a cause. And when you look at Manchester, people have died for a cause, whether that was the Peterloo massacre or whether that was um, the suffragette movement. Uh, Manchester people have a cause. And, and, and that means that any business, any team, should have a cause, a cause that ultimately is uh, more superior than any individual achievement, because that's what great teams do. And I always remember Sir Alex booting out players like Van Nistelrooy or Yapstam and even Beckham. Why? Because he believed they were bigger than the team. And the minute that happens, um, you've got to make sure the team is looked after. And that means individuals get to leave. The second point it was, was pride in the badge. Uh, and again, that really resonated with me. Where, wherever I've worked, um, the badge should mean something. Uh, and at Metro Bank, uh, we expected everybody to wear what we call the M pin. And it was red, red for obvious colours um, for Manchester United. But it was it's, it showed whether or not people were proud to work, proud to work for our organisation. And, and again, when I look at Manchester's history, everybody knows that the badge of Manchester is the B. And, and when you look at our sporting teams, it's a ship canal. And, and you look at some great achievements in life. Uh, and Manchester has led the world. So ha having pride in the badge, and that's why I say I'm a proud man. 
And then the third one he said is, you've got to work well as a team. Uh, and as a result of that, um, I've always created team codes. And I know we're going to talk about the Roland Dransfield one, but team codes, the behavioural code, is how we work together, how we work with our clients, our customers, our our suppliers, and it's actually being authentic, but acting with integrity. So, you know, when Humphrey Walters put those three things up there, which was, you know, cause, uh, pride in the badge, and how do you behave as a team? Um, it really landed on me, and it's something that I've taken with me since that time. Well, we're definitely better for kind of your learnings around that. I mean, you talked to us about play for the name on the front of the shirt, not the back. And you also, I don't know if you're happy to talk about this, but the one thing that resonates with me is FIFO. Yeah, look, culture, it's, it's fascinating in the current times. Uh, I've seen some organisations that are handling the current situation of coronavirus really well. Uh, and I'm seeing some where, quite frankly, the leaders are sat under a desk, sucking the thumb, hoping somebody's going to knock on the door and say, it's all over, you can come out. It's fascinating that those... Uh, leaders and those organisations that are managing the situation as best they can are the ones that have lived their values for years, where the culture has been everything. Uh, and, and for me, FIFO is something that I've used quite a lot in organisations. Uh, it stands for fit in or fuck off. And quite frankly, uh, if you can't be committed to the cause, to your colleagues, by doing it the right way and the best way, I prefer you to go and work somewhere else and ruin their brand and their business because you've got to be responsible for everybody in your team. And and therefore, being the diva, being the Paul Pogba or whatever uh, analogies people want to use, that's unacceptable. Um, you, you earn the right to be in the team. Um, and, you know, when you look at the Roland Dransfield way, um, one of yours is no dickheads. And, and, and in the All Blacks, you can be a great player. But if you're a dickhead, you get to play somewhere else and... I, I, I'll make no apology for that. I just want the very, very best people committed to the cause in the team. That when one of us get kicked, we all limp. And then we all turn around and said, right, you did that. And we go and sort them out. That's what Manx do. We Built This City, a podcast about the Mancunians born, bred and adopted that put the heart into modern Manchester. So you are one of the most inspirational people I've met and um, you've been a real rock to me. And I, I just wondered who have you met in your life that inspires you? Lisa, when you talk about inspirational people, my, my preference is I, I, I lead from behind and, and that's just my preferred style. You know, when the going gets tough, you'll see me out there biting everyone. Um, but occasionally I do like to lead from behind. So some of the people I'm going to mention, might not be household names to the listeners, but I just wanted to say who they are and maybe why they're so inspirational. Firstly, uh, he's no longer with us, was my PE teacher called Ray Woods. Uh, I met Ray Woods when I was uh, nine. Uh, he was a scouser. Um, uh, and, and he taught me the values of life through football. Um, and again, I, I, I pay homage to Ray Woods and I'd love to meet his family. And if his family ever gets to listen to this podcast, please get in touch because there's lots of people um, that want to recognise the work Ray Woods did. And uh, he was my PE teacher at Barlow Hall Primary School. Um, and then he went to St George's in Hume as the deputy head. Um, and then and then he went to uh, a primary school in Blakely, and that's where uh, the, the sort of the trail's gone cold, because I do want to recognise his family and thank them. 
so Ray Woods uh, inspired me um, hugely through primary school. Then my secondary school teacher at Charlton High School. Uh, it was a rough, tough, comprehensive. Um, but the head teacher was Colin Crofts. Uh, look, I was academically useless at school. But what, what he did, he, he gave me leadership responsibilities because he sort of realised I could either make people laugh or explain to people or demonstrate leadership qualities on the sports field. So he made me uh, senior prefect and he gave me the house captain of sport job. Um, and again, that was just something that gave me the opportunity to lead. And, th and then um, my coaching badges, I'll mention him, uh, is a guy called Tony Whelan. Tony was one of the first black professional footballers. Uh, and Tony came to Barlow Hall when he was at United. And I was eight and I looked at this guy and just wanted to be like him. And then when I uh, enrolled my coaching badges, uh, as I get up in the car park and we split into our groups, who's going to be my tutor for uh, teaching me how to become a football coach? Tony Whelan. Um, 12 wow, years on. That's amazing. Uh, and we just connected straight away. And Tony's uh, been at United uh, as one of the academy directors for, gosh, all the years. And he's one of the people that Fergie talks about uh, in his book. Um, and Tony uh, and his wife, Trish, are just huge friends now. Um, and I look at Tony, the way he does stuff. He came from Withenshaw. He's Dr. Tony Whelan. He's got a doctorate. He did his master's about the Busby Babes. And if you talk about a group of players that died for a cause, then it's Manchester United and Munich and the 6th of February, 1958. So, so I look at Tony and then there's just a, you know, there's a few more. There's uh, a guy called Will Blandemir. Uh, Will works um, uh, in, in, the, in the health, public health world. Uh, and he's been on our board at Greater Sport and he's now on the board at Manchester County Football Association. Will is just one of those just nice guys that gets on and does it. Is the uns unsung hero, um, and you know I just want to pay tribute to guys like that: Colin Bridgeford, Chief Executive Manchester FA, uh, Yvonne Harrison, Hayley Lever, Eamon O'Rourke from Manchester City Council from a few years back. Um, these are the people that might not be household names, but boy, behind the scenes, do they make Manchester and Greater Manchester happen? Um, and for me, those are the sort of people that deserve all the awards, not some of. Um, the minor celebrities that will turn up the opening of a crisp packet if it will get them their picture in the paper. Oh, that's great. We need to have a shout out, don't we, for your old PE teacher, Ray Woods. Um, yeah. Your voicemail messages, and I guess it a lot because you're always on the phone, <laughs> and I phone you a lot, <laughs> is um, have a fantastic day. So you sign off. I mean, and I really do feel like you do have a fantastic day. You always seem to be having one when I, I come and see you. But And you're a rock to lots of people, but who's your rock? Yeah, I, I've, I've, I've got three uh, inner rocks, and I mean really inner rocks, um, and that's my wife and my two kids. Um, uh, my father walked out on me and my brother and my mum um, when I was three months old. We were living in a council flat in Cholton when Cholton was a real shithole. Um, and um, I didn't have a father figure. Um, our kid, my brother looked after me, my mum looked after me, and therefore when I grew up, I, I wanted to be the best dad in the world uh, and the best partner in the world because uh, that had not been part of my life. So Team Brindley means more to me than, than anything. So that's my, my inner rocks. Uh, then there's a group of outer rocks. Uh, there's a lad I went to school with uh, and our, our lives have gone very uh, different tangents. Uh, John Gerard, uh, uh, you know, 
John's just one of those guys that I, I love. We grew up together. Um, we were thick as thieves. Um, and it don't matter where we both go in the world, we're, we're, we're soulmates. And then there's our kid, my brother, um, big brother, who uh, spent years trying to shake me off um, when I wanted to play football with him uh, and his older mates, um, but he couldn't. Uh, and as a result, I became a decent footballer because I think playing against older lads, you, you've not got the same physicality, so you have to use your brain a bit more. Um, and, and, and they're just people like that. They're, they're my rocks. Um, I love walking in the bowling green in Charlton. Um, it doesn't matter what job I've got, what title I've got, what, what you've won or what you've not won. I'm just Chris and I'm one of the lads and I just want to just have a pint of Strongbow, watch the game, whether that's rugby league, football, cricket, rugby union, boxing, uh, and just go back to my spiritual home, which is Cholton. We talk um, at Roland Ransfield about purposeful relationships um, and how important it is to nurture these. And kind of, we've, you and I have talked about this, it's be nice to people, be kind, um, yeah. do something good and try your best. Um what do you think is so important about building and nurturing those relationships? Lisa, I can just share a quote with everybody uh, that, that probably embodies uh, my approach. It's from a guy called Mark McCormack. Mark set up a sports agency many, many years ago uh, called IMG. And they've got sports rights, Olympics and World Cups and everything else. But when Mark McCormack started out in business, somebody asked him, why do you think you're going to be successful? And, and, I, and I'll paraphrase it so I don't anybody write to me and go, you got this bit wrong, it's paraphrased. Basically, it says, when all things are equal, people do business with people they like and trust. And you go, well, that's pretty obvious, that. He then went on to say this, which for me is the really, really uh, impactful statement. He said, when things are unequal, people still do business with people they like and trust. And I, I, you know, the, the simple uh, example of that is my decorator, Robert, right? I, when I'm busy, I throw him the key, right? He lets himself in, he does his work, and he lets himself out. Why? Because I trust him and I like him. So that's the relationship built on that. And, and quite frankly, I know he's not the cheapest, but it's not about price, it's about value. And I think relationships are like that. The minute you can build relationships with people that you like and trust, then you've got friends for life. And, and too many people want to play the win or lose game. I just don't want to do win or lose. I think there's the opportunity now more than ever to just look at every situation and go, let's go win-win, where we, we look after each other, we support each other, and we do uh, a piece of work or a deal that is of value to both parties. And if you do that, then quite frankly, business will be good and we won't see this, I'm all right, Jack, and I'm just going to finish you off because that, that just isn't the way it should work. I think also, in particularly in times like this, you kind of, aside from realising who your friends are, you also realise that all the small things that you've done over a long period of time and that you've not realised at the time, it counts for an awful lot. And those people come back to you when you least expect it. I mean, I, I've had that in the past week. Um, and yeah. you get a kind word or a pat on the back or some word of encouragement. And you, you might not have even seen those people for some years, but all of a sudden they're there. Lisa, I think, I think you embody uh, the whole Manchester spirit of paying forward, you personally. Um, all I ever see you do is give um, for the benefit of others. And, and, and if you want to get into the, the, the model of that, it's by a guy called Dr. Stephen Covey. 
which talks about um, effective habits for highly effective people. And Covey likens relationships to bank accounts. That if you keep putting credits in, you'll have a healthy bank account. Uh, and even if a debit gets passed, um, the debit doesn't wipe out the bank account. It doesn't take you overdrawn. It doesn't make you bankrupt. So, you know, I've tried to live my life the same as you've lived yours, Lisa, which is my job is to put credits in the relationship. I don't wait for others to put credits in. It's my job to keep putting credits in, recognising, you know, the little stuff, the little events, birthdays and the special days, being there when you've not had a good day, um, taking the phone call, being a either a verbal punch bag or a friendly ear. Uh, and all of those are credits. Um, and if you do that, then people will remember the fact that you were there from. And I think at the moment there's a phrase I've been using. Those people that give value during the current coronavirus circumstances will be remembered. Those that choose not to give value during the coronavirus crisis, they'll be remembered too. And when we come out of this, the people that have added value will be the ones people want to do business with. The people who've started charging 20 quid for two toilet rolls, quite frankly, I ain't going into that shop ever again. Um, and people just need to understand that um, the public can be forgiving, but the public can be unforgiving. And you should never rip off uh, somebody um, around you because you'll have a short-term win. You're not going to make it long-term. Yeah, I mean, we're absolutely, we're in it together, aren't we? And and that's so we important are. to show that empathy. And some people are affected way more than others. And we've just got to do whatever we can do to try and support each other. I think Manchester is really good at putting its arms around um, each other in any case, but now more than ever. We had a, an amazing thing that happened actually um, yesterday that a wonderful client of ours from a long time ago um, in the last recession um, wasn't able to keep working with us anymore. And they're our first new piece of business in this situation. They came to us this week wow. and appointed us again. And, um, well and that's just amazing. If you're loving We Built This City, please could you take the time to leave a five-star review on your podcast platform? Thank you. You've worked um, closely with us over the last couple of years um, and were very instrumental in helping us to get back to um, the values that had had when I set the business up in 1996. And I think over a period of time, the kind of dynamics of the business changed, but you helped us to come up with the Roland Ransfield way, and that's... Um, obviously 15 principles that we live and work by and the whole team were instrumental in putting those uh, values together so we all we all bind them they're on our wall and even though we can't see them at the moment I can we can all see them in our mind um which of those 15 principles resonates with you most and why the one least I've, I've heard almost all your guests say this it's plant trees you'll never see I think ultimately when I, when I leave this earth, um, I want to have made a positive impact on people's lives um, and I might not get to see it. Um, I've been fortunate that the likes of Ray Woods who died at the age of 50, so I'd never seen him after I'd left primary school. Um, the likes of Colin Crofts, who again, I didn't spend much time with after I left secondary school. Uh, they planted trees they could never see. My mum planted a tree in the last 10 years that she's not been able to see and and in that time, I, you know, I've won some awards. I've been awarded my MBA because my mum loved the royal family. Mm -hmm. um, my mum would have been just uh, so proud uh, of me going to Buckingham Palace and uh, meeting uh, Prince William um, and receiving my badge. And, uh, 
when I cleared the house when she passed away, there was there was cuttings of uh, me in the newspaper, um, and I just sort of know how proud they made of her. So, you know, I think I'm a tree that my mum planted that she'd never saw quite grow to its uh, its full potential, and I'm, I'll always be truly grateful. Um, and I spend a lot of time at Southern Cemetery just saying thank you. Um, so, I think we've all got responsibility to plant trees that um, we'll never see, uh, and the others are great, but that one just says everything about what I stand for. It was bizarre that because that's obviously my favourite one, and only recently I found a flyer that I'd done. Um, must be twenty years, well, no longer than that ago when I was in my second job. That was a picture of me. Um, in a really dodgy blue power suit with a pair of hunter wellies on and a, and a, basically a lump of soil and, and a spade. And the flyer was, the best time to plant a tree was 40 years ago. The next best time is now. And, wow. I'd, and I'd forgotten, I'd forgotten that. And, and that is so true is that just get planting. You know, there's, you could just start now. If you've not done it, just start now. Well, Lisa, what a wonderful story. And, and you know, uh, one of the ex exercises I do when I'm doing my exec coaching is I ask people to list down 50 things that they appreciate every single day. And I think we've got uh, the habit of appreciating things, if I'm being honest. Um, and I think Mother Nature pressing the reset button, as she has done uh, over recent weeks, has, has given us all a chance to maybe just reflect about our values, about who we are and how we might want to live our lives going forward. And, and and the feedback I get is, Chris, uh, there's no chance I can do 50. No chance I can appreciate 50. I, I can do 50 by 9 o'clock. Um, look, when I wake up in the morning, I, I appreciate that because it's not going to be a very good day for me when I don't. If, if, and I tend to wake up in a, in a bed that's warm. I appreciate that. And then I'll step onto a floor and there'll be running water, there'll be electricity, there'll be food. I'll check my phone, which means I've got communication. I'll go to work, which means I've got a job. You know, I'll, I'll go to the shop and buy food or I'll buy clothes. And, and, and that's why, again, bringing this back to Manchester, we built this city. That's why it's hats off to Andy Burnham and his team. That's why hats off to you, Lisa, for the work you've done in understanding, because of the things you appreciate day in, day out. You also appreciate those that haven't. So we are the city that is booking the trend on homeless. Why? Because we choose to. Why? Because Manchester decides whether you live in a house or you live on the street, you're still part of the Manchester family. And, and ultimately, Mancunians help each other out, whether that was the 96 bomb, whether that was a bombing at the arena. Um, we sit there and we come together and we look after each other. And I really admire you talking about planting trees because ultimately, if we planted a metaphorical tree every day, then we'd be making a positive impact in at least one person's life. And I, I think if you did that every day, then the accumulation effects would be huge. And I'm hoping that out of um, adversity comes a new normal. And that new normal is predicated on love thy neighbour, care for each other, give people a hug, um, either physical or metaphorical, depending on what we're allowed to do. Um, but, but planting those trees, I think, is something that we have a responsibility to do. And you think Manchester's particularly good at that? I mean, there's been so many examples anyway, but then in the last few weeks, it's just been really quite incredible to see how people at every level, no matter if they've got lots of money to contribute or they can do a small thing, 
it's just been joyful to see that. I think there's been so many examples of really wonderful behaviour and care and love and community. Lisa, I've heard some amazing stories of there's been an NHS worker in a queue, third in the queue uh, in a supermarket. And when they've got to the checkout and they've gone to pay, they've been told, uh, well, the person two in front of you told me to pay for the for your shopping mm-hmm. um i think we've got new heroes in the world when i when i go into a shop and there's somebody there serving me i, I can leave that shop knowing what i bought and go back and sit at home there's going to be another customer another customer another customer for that person and therefore they're, they're taking the risk so i think uh, refuse collectors uh, police fire ambulance nhs people who work in supermarkets uh people who work in utilities even people who deliver your parcels from amazon Mm. those are just the new heroes of the world this is the we built the city podcast celebrating the mancunians that built and continue to build this amazing city i set the business up one month after the ira bomb so this is kind of celebrate um some of those people who helped to put the uh heart back into modern manchester um, and the city's obviously changed massively since then. Um, and we've all been involved in rebuilding it. And obviously we're metaphorically going to rebuild it again um, yeah. in the next few months and the next couple of years. Do you actually remember where you were on the 15th of June, 1996? Abs- oh, Lisa, absolutely. I remember uh, my son was uh, three years old. I kissed him on the head at seven o'clock in the morning. I kissed my wife on the head at seven o'clock in the morning. I said, I'll see you tomorrow. What are you going to do today? And Elaine said, uh, I think we're going to town. I went, all right, okay. And me and my brother-in-law and a few other lads jumped on a train to London because that day it was England v Scotland at Wembley. So we all jump on a train to London. Elaine's told me she's going into town. We have a few drinks we get onto a, a place called the Tattersall's Castle which is a fixed moored boat opposite the London Eye the sun is shining and I'm sat there and I'm having a good few beers before getting on the train to Wembley and then uh, the news flash comes and there's a bomb going off in Manchester all that I can ever remember I was I'd had a few I sobered up like that and my word my, the words ringing in my ears were I think I'm going to go into Manchester. And we didn't have mobile phones then. So you just try to desperately, desperately ring home. You're queuing up at any phone box, forget the match. So I I managed to uh, ring and there's no answer. So you just sit there and then you start watching the news as you do. And you're just sitting there just praying that everything's going to be all right. And and literally, I managed to get through to Elaine and at home and she answered the phone and she said oh we changed our minds we went to Altrincham and just the wave of relief and then literally we went to Wembley we got in about 15 minutes late we we enjoyed the game but it was a bit subdued because I was with a load of monk lads and then we got the train back and I'll never forget getting off the train at Piccadilly station there was nobody there just this eerie silence um, I, I knew a shortcut um, so I took the shortcut and these coppers start screaming, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Get out, get out. And I went, what do you mean? They went, you shouldn't be here. This is a restricted area. I said, well, I've just come through the back alley there. And they'd not even, didn't they? That back alley existed, not taped it off. So anyway, the copper had just said, he said, it's just, you know, there's some 
really bad damage around Market Street and stuff like that. But I, I'm with you, Lisa, on what you've said on the previous podcasts. Um, no one died. Several people got hurt, and, and that's truly terrible. But without that bomb, I'm, I do not believe the city would have been rebuilt. Credit to Sir Howard Bernstein and Sir Richard Lees and the team that worked with them, like Eamon O'Rourke. Um, and you look at those people and, you know, six years later, we've got the Commonwealth Games, um, which is an amazing legacy still to this day. And we're probably one of the few cities in the world that have managed to retain uh, and develop the legacy programme. And that's 18 years on. Uh, I'm not sure there's a legacy from 2012, um, but there's still a legacy from the Commonwealth Games. And again, that says something about um, our city uh, and its people. So I will never forget um, the 15th of June, 1996. Um, but it wasn't because of Paul Gascoigne's goal. It was that moment when I got through to home and those wonderful words, we decided to go to Altrincham instead, um, etched in my memory forever. And how do you think Manchester's changed since then physically? Are you a lover of the changes? Do you, do you like what we've done as a city in terms of how we've rebuilt that? Uh, Lisa, I embrace change. I mean, um, I, I do laugh. I, I think I've been a bit of a jinx uh, on a few places. So um, the, the school that I went to, Charlton High School, we had a lower school on Darley Avenue. That's been demolished. Uh, we had an upper school uh, on Corkland Road. That's been demolished. I went to a, a club uh, which was originally called Valentine's in Charlton, then became Adam and, Adam and Eve. That's been demolished. <laughs> uh, my 21st at the Snooty Fox uh, in, on Princess Parkway, uh, just opposite Music Bank. That's been demolished. So I, I sit there, I just embrace change. Um, and if I look at the city now, um, I sit there and go, the Northern Quarter. I remember when the Northern Quarter was the textile capital of the world. Um, but now look at it. It's such a great eclectic mix uh, of bars and uh, cool places to eat. You've got the, the locks, which is great. If you look at where you are at the Bonded Warehouse uh, and you sit there and Gennady Studios is gone. But guess what? Something special's starting to replace it. Um, you look at um, some parts of the city centre. I, I, I'm, I'm a massive fan of the city centre. Change happens. I can't control it. So it's up to me whether I choose to embrace it. And yeah, Beaton Tower is an iconic uh, building now that you know wasn't there before. And I know you've been involved with the bigger tower blocks uh, across the road, topping them out. And, and, and they're, they're great. That used to be a car park. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and there used to be a car garage called Tom Garner's. And, and suddenly they've gone, but something's replaced it. And the world will evolve. So um, I think Manchester is better. Mm -hmm. um, and you look at what's happening in and around the Etihad. We've got the Manchester Arena. We might have a new arena there. You know, that just means more bands are going to come to Manchester. More big events are going to come to Manchester. I, I'm blessed. I can get to the Trafford Centre. I can get to the airport and I can get to town on a Metrolink within 15 minutes. I can be at, you know, Cholton Meadows or the Mersey Valley Nature Reserve, Sail Water Park, Cholton Water Park, the Bridgewater Canal, some cool pubs along the way. Where else would you want to live? I can't think of anywhere myself. <laughs> no, I absolutely agree. I've been battering that towpath down the canal, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Usually when you're talking to me, People... <laughs> all I can hear is wind. <laughs> Not your wind, by the way. What about the wind? People keep messaging me going, was that you on the canal? I was like, no, I'm not on it all day. 
You're not the you, you're not a pusher, are you? <laughs> Any deaths no. in the Bridgewater Canal around the sailor? <laughs> There's some narrow bits on the to- on the towpath, though. That's for sure. Um, oh, you make me feel nostalgic talking about all those places in Manchester because um, when you've actually gone into the city centre, pretty much every day of your career, it's oh. so hard. I do miss. I do miss it. I mean, do you remember places like Pips and Placemates? Not that old. Fagans and the Conti Club. <laughs> yeah, you I do. Enough, I kind of do yeah, remember yeah. the... Rotters. Rot- I kind of remember... Yeah. I think I remember... Yeah, Rotters. I think my parents used to come pick Tiffany's. me up at half ten from there and embarrass me. Yeah, Ronnie's. And, 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 and you know, can I, can I just shout out to one place that um, played a huge part in my professional life? Because um, I worked uh, for Nat West at 55 King Street. Uh, and it's a bar on Half Moon Street, down the steps called Corbiers. I was the only person in work that knew Corbiers existed. So when I wanted to nip off and nobody find out where I was, it was Corbiers having a Marston's pedigree, right, playing the, a, a pinball machine with the best jukebox in the world, with the water boys playing Some See the Crescent, Some See the Hole of the Moon. I tell you what, that's just special. And it's great that it's still there all these years. Well, I'm going to do a shout-out here then, because when we were probably 16 17 my best friend Giovanna Battiston came into college to tell us that her dad had just bought Corbiers Armando <gasps> Battiston Armando yeah oh, well, so he's my oh, she, he, yeah so Giovanna who's one of my long oldest friends longest standing friends um so we used to live in there ourselves um oh. and it was just amazing and yeah it's still going <laughs> We built this city, exploring the purposeful relationships that grow a community. I'm just going to do a few quick-fire Manchester questions here, Chris. Yeah. So, okay, so what's your favourite view of Manchester? It's got to be Cholton Meadows for me, or the Mersey Valley Nature Reserve. I remember when it was Hardy Farm, um, and literally, we'd go out of the farmhouse and, and just look around the fields and Jackson's Boat Bridge, you know, and... I, I, I remember being told the story about the Billy Goats Gruff and three, three the Billy Goats lived under this bridge in the Troll, and and I, I had this vision that it was that bridge. Yeah. It was just frightening me for years. I was scared to death to go over it when I was four or five. And what would be your favourite Man- Mancunian expression? Oh, kid. Mm. I, 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 I struggle. I struggle. I struggle to think about what my brother's name really is. I've never <laughs> called him. Yeah. Just called, it's our kid. He calls me our kid. I call him our kid. And um, what would you say uh, you'd miss most about the city when you're away? What What do you pine for about Manchester? I miss my family, uh, if I'm being honest, more than anything else. But if it's about Manchester rather than people, I, I get a special buzz. I got to London a lot, and there's nothing better than the train. When it sets off from Stockport and it goes through Longsight, I have a lovely warm feeling that I'm coming home. If I'm, if I'm coming from the Leeds Yorkshire area, Barton Bridge... Is, is lovely for me. Uh, I know I'm nearly home when I get across Barton Bridge uh, and see the Trafford Centre. If I'm coming the other way, uh, you, you sort of come on, you know, the M56 and then you come off on the M60 and you start seeing South Water Park. So um, it, they're, they're the things I miss most, which is the people and knowing I'm coming home. Um, I'm a bit of a home bird uh, and I'll, I'll love to know I'll be, I'll be after a hard day's graft or a hard few days away, just knowing I'm coming home to a place that uh, I'm safe, mm. and Manchester does um, make people feel safe. And I've got to ask fish and chips or pie and chips? It's got to be pudding and oh, chips. God, I don't God. know this nonsense, fish and chips or pie and chips. If you're from Manchester, it's right. got to be pudding. There's nothing better than suet pudding 
with preferably with staking and kidney in it. I don't know what these clowns are doing taking the kidney out because <laughs> people don't eat awful anymore. <laughs> I tell you what, when I was a kid, that's all you got. Yeah. You know, it's pudding, oh, pudding and shit. It just inspired me now because I've actually not had a pudding since I went vegetarian when I was a student and then I've never got back on the pudding since I'm not a vegetarian. So, yeah. Pudding that's and chips. Right. No better. I'll try and get one of those on rations. Um, and what's <laughs> your favourite pub in Manchester? I always go back to the Bowling Green in Cholton and, and I was really proud of me. Uh, the picture for this podcast taken outside of it because it's just a great pub and um, some days I'll mark out my diary some big sporting events and if I'm not going to them live uh, I know where I'll be it'll be uh, it'll end to be going in the bowling green um, I'm, I'm watching watching the games in there well when we can all get out of our houses I'm going to come and join have a, have a very big pint with you in there and I'll go to you the chippy for a, a pudding and chips after that um I could talk to you for ages as always, but I just want to thank you so much for joining us on We Built This City today. And also to say thank you so much for all the work that you've done with us as a business and um, all the support you've given me over the last couple of years because it's made a massive difference to my life. Um, so thank you so much for joining us, Chris. At least it's just been an absolute pleasure to, to just shoot the breeze with, with you and uh, talk about our wonderful city that's Manchester. And I think when it comes to Roland Dransfield, I've played a really, really small part I think it takes people like you and your team to get stuck in and make it happen because ultimately you've done such a great job for this city uh, over many, many years and I just want to wish you and the team all the very best and we'll, we'll have um, lots of celebrations on the other side. I really look forward to it. Thank you so much. And for whoever's listening to, uh, to the podcast, if we can help try and find Ray Wood's family um, and he was last PE yeah, teacher. He was a school teacher. He, was, he would have been the headmaster there. Tony Whelan was taught to, taught by him to be a coach and then Tony taught me to be a coach. So we've both got a real desire to track down his family just to say thank you uh, for the impact he made, not just in our lives, but the lives of many, many other people. Amazing. So if anybody does know his family, if you can find us at Roland Dransfield and we can connect Chris to his family, that'd be amazing. Thanks again, Chris, and look forward to seeing you soon. No, thank you, Lisa. Chris has helped build this city by being a clear and inspirational leader in both sport and business, by being passionate about sport at the grassroots level, and by contributing to a big percentage of the profits behind the bar at the Bowling Green Pub in Chilton. In the next episode, I promise you straight talking, great stories and showbiz inspiration from Mancunian events organiser and business leader Liz Taylor of TLC Corporation. I'm either going to get the Nobel Prize or sued. <laughs> One or the other. <laughs> this is a podcast from Roland Dransville PR. Our mission is to build purposeful relationships in all we do. If you do want to talk to us, give us a call on the same number we've had for 23 years, 0161 236 1122.